scripture reading this morning will be out of Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. Here we read, They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, and scourge him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. And hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. So calling to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it's not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Good morning, everybody. If you would open your Bibles once again to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10. And before we get into this, I'm going to cover a few things. You'll see on the slide uh, that we I'm showing you kind of a heads up on what we have going in front of us for the next several weeks on our for sermons, if you will. Uh, today we're going to be talking about godly authority, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll be talking about godly authority in the home, and then on uh, January 21. Uh, we'll, I'll, I'll actually be preaching at Sepulpa Bible Church, and that's when we're going to have the weekend conference there where they've invited all of us to come. And, and so, you know, they assumed that you would actually want to hear me again. So they said, oh, everybody come. And, and so on Saturday, we'll have three sessions there, and in the last, between the last two sessions, we'll have um, a potluck. So they call it a pot providence, and if you don't know what that is, we can talk about that, but um, that they're having a potluck then. And so everyone's welcome to that. And if you do come and attend the Providence and bring a dish, we'll send out. I'll send out an email with some more details and actual times. It'll start at nine fifteen and that sort of thing. So, uh, but then on Sunday, the twenty first, then I'll be preaching there and finishing up the conference with the fourth, fourth session. And then we're going to uh, have me on the screens. And you can thank the Lord that our screens are small. You know, some churches they've got these enormous screens where you, your preachers, you know larger than life, and it'll be a blessing to you that I'll be smaller than life, so um, <clears throat> so hopefully that'll work out well. The tech guys think it will work, so we'll see how it goes, so, um, and then after that, uh, we're going to have, I'll be preaching on the, the nature of obedience, because as we get into uh, Ephesians 6, verse 1, remember, you know, kids, the, the promise that, or the uh, commandment that your parents made you memorize first, Right? Children, what? Obey your parents, right? Okay. And and so, <clears throat> what about obedience? And this is not going to be just for the kids, but I'll, although it will be very much for you, and I hope that it will transform the way you think about obedience. But all of us, 
every one of us, uh, we, we have to obey someone. And so we all need this. And I hope it will transform all of our thinking about what obedience is. And, and I've been meditating on that for um, four or five weeks now. And with the thought that James in his book has um, on the law of liberty and how that should transform the way we think about obedience. Okay, And so I've been working toward that. And I'm really looking forward to that because I think it will change the way we think about obedience instead of seeing it... You know, that phrase, the law of liberty, law and liberty, we see as opposites, right? And we need to see those not as opposites. And that's what we're going to be talking about then. So that is kind of an overview of where we're going over the next few weeks. And then, Lord willing, after that fourth uh, Sunday, then we'll get into Ephesians 6.1. And and kids, I know you're chomping at the bit waiting for us to get to that, right? So, all right. Oh, today we're going to be talking about godly authority. Godly authority. We learn back in Genesis 1 and 2 that God built order into His creation. And in that order, there, there is authority. God has authority over all mankind and, and over all of His creation. Man and woman together have dominion over the creation. God assigned us that. And then we saw also that the husband has authority. He is the head over his wife. And so God built authority into his creation so that it would have order. But this concept of authority is under attack. And it's it's in some ways always under attack. But we can see it very clearly today as I'm going to uh, show you a few things that you'll recognize um, having seen that out in the world. But this attack on authority, the concept of authority, has led to the disorder that is so prevalent in our society today. And and you just look at the news and you see that there's disorder everywhere. Uh, Whether it doesn't matter what group, organization, place, there's disorder So today we're going to get an overview of how the Bible presents God-assigned authority. That is, authority that God has assigned. And then next week, as I said earlier, we'll look at godly authority in the home. And those discussions on authority are going to set the stage for that lesson that I mentioned about obedience. And so we need to understand that. So as we look back on the role of men and women as we went through Ephesians 5, this this idea of authority is going to reflect back on that. And this is really a continuation of the series that we did, the role of men and women in the church. But it also is looking forward to the kids, okay? They're going to have to obey the authority of their parents, okay? So this is going to set the stage for that and then get us into, okay, how do we, how do we think about that as someone who is under authority, which we all are, okay? And it won't be just for the kids. So we'll talk about the nature of obedience. Well, this is what we should take home today. Authority provides order in God's creation, and He intends it for our good. Authority provides order in God's creation, and He intends it for our good. Now, you probably, if you've ever heard anybody out there talk about authority, you know that they're going to have problems with that. They're going to have problems with pretty much everything I'm going to say from this point forward, right? But God intends authority to be for our good. Now, does it always work out that way? No. Too often, uh, there can be serious problems with it. See, Satan is a master of deception. And just as we talked about in Sunday school, so things that are very good, like you know the, the medicines that are created uh, for us, some of those are very good. But is Satan going to... Have you know? Is he going to twist that and distort that and, and do wicked things? Yes. The same is true with this God-given gift of authority. He, Satan, is a master of deception, and he uses a multi-pronged approach. He will incite some people to oppose all authority. Authority is bad. Just across the board, we need to do away with it. But he'll incite other people to abuse their authority. 
And Satan wants us to think that there are only two options. Reject authority or abuse authority. There aren't only two options. Originally, there was only one, and it wasn't either of those two. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's talk first about the attacks on authority. And this is a a topical message if you're visiting with us. This isn't our our usual exposition through a passage of Scripture. We're going to be looking at a number of different Scriptures today. But we're, we're stepping back and trying to look at a topic we need to cover because of the way that it is so misunderstood today. So, as we look at the attacks on authority, uh, to give you an example, a woman named Letty Russell, she was a feminist theologian. She was educated at Harvard, and then she taught at Yale beginning in the 70s, and up until, I think, like 2001. In her feminist theology, um, Margaret Kossenberger, who wrote about this, so... A book that I'm going to refer to just a little bit here, I don't have it on the screen, but Margaret Kossenberger wrote Jesus and the Feminists, a very good conservative perspective on looking at feminism and, and what they do with Jesus, how they interpret Jesus in their own way. Okay, And so she presents Letty Russell as one of the examples that we can see what feminists do with Jesus in the Bible. And she said that they have a negative view of all forms of authority. And people like Russell would teach that authority and servanthood are incompatible. You can't have, like we've talked about in our previous studies, this idea of servant leadership. They would say, well, no, that that can't be because you just need to get rid of the leadership part. You can't have authority. They like the servant part, but not the authority part. Whereas we presented it from the Scripture is that those who are in authority do need to be, to have this idea of servanthood, of service. But they see those as incompatible. Uh, Letty Russell denied that the Bible has authority. So there's really two levels of which she's attacking authority here. One is, is the source of authority, which for us is the Bible. Okay? She attacks that authority, but then she attacks the whole concept of authority that comes from that Bible. That, that says, okay, that these people are over these people, okay? And, and so she goes after the Bible and denies that it has any authority. And she says, in fact, most of the Bible is authoritarian. And most of the Bible ought to be rejected. But, and this is always fascinating, how some of these folks, some of them completely just throw the Bible away. They don't, don't ever want to talk about it. But some of them want to say, oh, no, there are parts of the Bible that, you know, there are good parts of the Bible, things that they feel like promotes their narrative. And so they don't throw the whole thing away, or at least they don't think they do. Um, She promoted this liberal idea. And, you know, we talked about... When we we talked about feminism, it's built on the shoulders of of liberalism that was, you know, in the late 1800s, that 19th century liberalism that came over from the European continent into the UK and into the US and uh, came into us um, uh, over here in the the early 1900s in particular and then has blossomed in a lot of different ways. Um, The weeds of, of, you know, the 50s and 60s rebellions and all that kind of stuff, right? And, of course, feminism is one of those. She bought into that liberal idea that those you know, good parts of the Bible, they can become God's Word to you. Have you ever heard that? Now, you also hear that from, from some Christians who will say things like that. Well, that became God's Word to me. Okay, that's a liberal concept. That's not a biblical concept. Okay? And so what she says, the way she explained it is this. An individual... Or a community, and when she talks about individuals and communities, she's talking about those who are oppressed. Okay, those who are oppressed, and, and in her uh, writings and all that would that would be women and minorities, those with uh, a different, as she would say, sexual orientation um, than what the Bible presents um, as the two sexes. Period. Um, those are oppressed peoples. And so they, individuals or communities, oppressed communities, 
can look at parts of the Bible that fit her narrative and they can have an experience based on it. Now, what does that mean? We don't know. I mean, it's just somehow something happens and you feel good about it. Okay, you have an experience about it. And so she would say, then it becomes God's Word to you. Okay. And, of course, there's all kinds of problems with that, right? God's Word is God's Word. And it, it, it doesn't matter what it means to you. It really doesn't. What matters is what did it mean to the original authors? What were they saying? And what was the Holy Spirit saying through them? Okay, but they, they want to... And you'll see what they're doing here. Is, is they want to sit in judgment on God's Word and tell you what you can and can't believe rather than the Bible telling us what we can and can't believe, right? Okay, so she would say that an oppressed community's experience can validate something as God's Word to them. Okay, now, she would also say that if you had an experience and you wanted to impose that on her and say this is God's Word, she would say, no, it's God's Word to you, but not to me. You see? It's slippery. And they kind of try to dance around all of this, right? So you can't impose anything on me. Because it's not God's Word to me. And so you can reject, she would say, whatever doesn't fit her narrative. So, And she has a narrative. This is the way it is. She knows better than God, and this is how it is. And if anything in the Bible doesn't fit that, out it goes, right? What's interesting, and you can see how their inconsistencies always show up. She rejects all authority but puts herself in authority over the Bible. You see the inconsistency there. We'll have more to say on that in a minute. Um, So, as I mentioned, Margaret Kostenberger, uh, she and her husband are both scholars, conservative theologians, um, and and you'll appreciate her. they, They agree with us, like, across the board on everything, okay? So it's not like she's off, you know, doing her own thing or whatever. She and her husband, Andreas, wrote a book that I've referred to back in our uh, study of the role of men and women, uh, God's Design for Man and Woman. And they say, you know, we can see how feminists shun the notion of hierarchy. If all forms of human authority are understood in top-down, military-style, command-and-obey terms, so they're saying if that's what you think authority is, then we can see why they're why they're rejecting it, and and so what what the the feminists do is they create a straw man. Okay, what's a straw man? Okay, think of a scarecrow. Okay, scarecrow is what? Okay, you take you know a man's shirt and pants and, and you stuff them with straw and you come up with some kind of head. Okay, well, if you're going to have a battle with a scarecrow, how many of you think you could beat the scarecrow? Right? Or even your kids? I mean, oh yeah, you know. That's the point. Okay, so they take a caricature, they make up something about what was actually true, what, what, you know, the person they don't agree with, and then they can beat them up all day, right? That's what they're saying here. If biblical authority is this top-down military-style command-and-obey terms, if that is for everybody, for, for elders, for husbands, for, for, for parents then we can understand. But, as they go on, as we've seen, and we have seen also in our studies, this stereotype, that's what it is, it's a stereotype, it's a a caricature, it's a straw man, is unfortunately misleading, unduly simplistic, and biblically unwarranted. In other words, that's not what the Bible teaches. So what they're reacting to, they say they're reacting to what the Bible teaches, but they're not. They create a caricature of that, and then they attack that. And so what they're pointing out here is that they're attacking something that the Bible doesn't teach. And unfortunately, Christians, you know, we hear them talking and they say, okay, see? And, and, and what, about, what about these people, you know, these husbands that abuse their wives? See? You know, the Bible's wrong. What about, you know, these, these church leaders that abuse their people? See? The Bible's wrong. And what the Kostenbergers are saying is that that is not at all what the Bible is teaching. The Bible is just as much against abuse as you think you are. But 
such thinking about authority, authority, all authority is bad. That thinking permeates our culture. Theologian David Wells, and he also wrote a book so you can kind of see where his thinking is, No Place for Truth. Okay, In another place, he explained this. The Oxford Dictionaries designated the word post-truth as the word of the year for 2016. Post-truth accepts the fact that a private disposition, that is, you know, your own personal experience, for example, can legitimately trump an objective fact. Okay, so this isn't true only of liberals, because you see that, you, you look at, you know, politics and everything today, you see it on both sides, where it's whatever supports my narrative is what's true. There's no, we don't even care about, you know, objective facts anymore, where we can actually prove that. It's like, no, it, it supports my narrative, so it's true. Or it doesn't support my narrative, therefore it's false. Okay, and that's what he's talking about. Now he goes on, he says, In this cultural environment, then, all authority withers. First, any appeal to any kind of authority is unacceptable, that is, to the culture, because there's nothing there to validate that appeal. So that's what I was talking about earlier, where Lady Russell would attack the Scripture as our authority from which we get all other, you know, our authority from. Right? And so there's no standard. There's no authority that says this is how you are to do life. This is how you're to do church and do home and do government. <clears throat> there's no basis to evaluate all that by. Okay, so that's the first thing. Second, he says, it therefore follows uh, in their minds that those who appeal to an authority must be doing so out of self serving motives. You ever heard that? Okay. You know, kids, you ever do that to your parents? And then don't do this, okay, it's a sin. But say, oh, well, you, you just, you know, won't let me do that because of what, it, you know, it helps you. Okay. Um, where people will say, oh, yeah, you, you know, you're invoking your authority just because you want to get your way. Now, does that happen? Yes. And that's sin. That's not what the Bible's teaching. And that's not what we're teaching for all of us to follow. And he goes on... <clears throat> And they would say that the the appeal to authority is simply a way to manipulate others and to serve their own private agendas. And you see that today. So any time that there is a, a legitimate authority, and then people reject that, and what they do is they say, you're just trying to manipulate us. Or what you're trying to do is you just want to get your own way. That's the only reason. And so they want to just reject all authority. And that's what Wells is trying to, to tell us as he observes this uh, out in so much of society. So, as we said, feminists and liberals reject all authority. They claim that it is always authoritarian, that it is always oppressive. And sadly, some Christians react to them by promoting authority that is authoritarian and is oppressive. I mean, I see this out, you know, in books and podcasts and blogs and things like that as Christians, conservative Christians are pushing back on feminism and, and these liberal ideas. But what they do is, is they just adopt whatever the feminists are against. So it's like, well, what feminists reject, they embrace. And that's wrong. What we need to do is go back to the Bible and what does the Bible say? Okay? And what does the Bible teach about authority? And so we look to Scripture. In other words, we have to submit ourselves to the Scripture. And none of us like to submit even to the Scripture, sadly. But we look there for the truth. We look there for the basis to work from, the standard, our authority. <clears throat> well, John Lehman, uh, in his ebook on authority, he, uh, and it's also in a printed book, the wise approach is this. The solution to bad authority is not no authority, but good authority. And I thought he said that well. Okay, And I, I'll refer to that book um, a little bit here. John Lehman has, you know, he is executive um, editor for Nine Marks, and he's a pastor 
Uh, he's worked with Mark Dever uh, for years and all. Uh, he spent a, Lehman has spent a lot of time in the last few years studying this whole idea of authority because of what he sees out there in the world and what even is creeping into churches. And so he's written about it not only in this book, which is just recently came out, and it's really helpful, um, but he's also written from some other articles that I'll also quote from. But the solution to bad authority is not no authority, but good authority. We need to remember that. When people push back, they say, oh, there's bad authority out there. There is. And we, we should admit that, that, yeah, there is bad authority out there. Now, when they say, you know, all churches have bad authority, no, that's not true. All marriages that where the husband is the head is bad authority, no, that's not true. All parents who are following the, following the biblical model is bad authority, no, that is not true. Okay, but where it is true, we should admit it and say, now what we need to do is fix it. We need to pursue good authority. What is good authority? What is godly authority? Well, that's where we come to the Scriptures. Uh, Here you are in Mark 10 again. I want to read those last few verses that Terry read for us. Mark 10, uh, verse 42. Now, remember what's happening here, as Terry read, that... And this always amazes me, okay? So, in verses 32 to 34, okay, so Jesus is talking about, you know, they were heading to Jerusalem, and then Jesus says there that... Okay, when we get there, I'm going to be delivered over. And I'm going to be be killed. Okay, he tells them that. And what's the first thing out of their mouths for John and James? Yeah. You didn't hear the part about dying? Lord, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit on your right and your left? You know, and it's like... But we can't beat them up too much because you and I do the same thing. The other disciples early on are probably thinking, mm, why didn't we think of that? You know, until Jesus rebukes them and they're kind of like, I'm glad I didn't think of that, right? <clears throat> and so what Jesus does, basically, He said, guys, you're thinking like pagans. You're not thinking like people who submit to the fear of God. You're not thinking like people... In, the, in God's kingdom. That's not how we think in God's kingdom. Let me tell you how we think in God's kingdom. Okay, and then so he's rebuking the first part and then he gets into this. Verse 42. So Jesus, <clears throat> you know, the, the other guys are really getting mad at him. And so he says, come here guys. He said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. In other words, that, that's the way the world works. That's the way pagans think. Uh, that's not the way he's saying. It's, that's not the way I think. Verse 43, But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. And then this. And he comes back to what he was saying earlier. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. He says, that is godly authority. It's not the pagan way where you get to, okay, hey, I'm number one. It's not that. It's where the one who happens to be number one will give his life. For the others. So, first, what we're going to do today is three basic things. We're going to define authority. We're going to look at purposes, some of the purposes of authority, and then the character of godly authority. Okay? So, let's first talk about the definition of authority. And this is my definition, and, and you know, this is not completely original to me. I put it together from my studies in the Scripture and studies of the different writings, like from Lehman and others. Um, you'll see pieces of things that they said, but I, I put it together in a different way that I, I, I feel better about. Authority is a stewardship. Okay, it's a stewardship. Okay, that already is a rebuke to anybody who wants to think, you know, I'm in authority, I'm number one, right? It's a stewardship for carrying out, in other words, you have a job, what? 
carrying out the assigned responsibilities of an office. Authority is a stewardship for carrying out the assigned, and that's the key word we're going to talk about, assigned. In other words, it's not inherent in you. It's not because, oh, I'm so wonderful, right? The assigned responsibilities of an office. And what are some of those responsibilities uh, that Scripture touches on? Leading, making decisions, making or enforcing laws or rules, protecting, punishing, discipling, caring for, and so on. Now, let's talk about some of the parts of that. Authority is an office, or, or it's a stewardship, okay? Lehman writes, The idea of an office communicates the fact that authority is not intrinsic to a person. In other words, like in a marriage, a husband is not the authority because he's better than his wife. Not at all. It's not intrinsic, okay? And the same for every other type of authority. But it comes from a granting agent, which is God, okay? One's authority serves a particular purpose or scope. It carries certain responsibilities and a code of ethics. And that's where we're going to talk about the character of it. It is a stewardship possessing a limited jurisdiction and duration. So each person who has any kind of authority only has authority over certain things. Okay? You know, as one of your elders, I can't tell you which house you ought to buy. Okay? I don't have that authority. Now, I can tell you what wisdom might suggest. And there might be some things that you might be thinking about doing that might be sin, and I can point that out. But I don't have authority to tell you that. Okay? Um, So, we're, we're limited within a certain jurisdiction and even sometimes duration. Think parents there, right? And he goes on, it is given to specific individuals and not to everyone. So not everyone is given authority, although a lot of us are in, in a lot of different ways. Okay. So it's an office or a stewardship. Second, it's authority is delegated by God. Even in his role as Messiah, what did Jesus say at the end of Matthew 28? All authority... I have taken for myself. Mm -mm. In his role as Messiah, even though he is God the Son, in his role as Messiah, his Father gave him all authority over everything. Okay? It was given to him. It's delegated by God. Uh, The Kostenbergers that I referred to earlier, they say that human authority is sovereignly assigned. I like that. Sovereignly assigned, that is, by God. Through the Scriptures. How do we know about these different types of authority? We go to the Bible and see what what does it say about them. And and so the different authorities the Bible touches on, uh, civil government, elders, uh, leaders of churches, husbands, parents, employers. Okay. And let me give you some examples. Concerning civil authorities, Paul, he took a general truth which applies to all authority, but he's talking about civil authorities in Romans 13.1. He says, There is no authority except from God. And those authorities which exist are established by God. And be real clear. All authority comes from God. Okay? It didn't come from us intrinsically. Another example, elders. They do have authority. They are to use Scripture, Paul said, to speak and exhort and reprove with all authority, Titus 2.15. They are to be keeping watch over the souls of their flock, Hebrews 13. They're given charge over the flock. They are to exercise oversight, and they are to be ruling over the flock. Okay, and I've given you a bunch of the Scriptures you can look up. Now, if all authority is delegated to us by God... There's a warning that we need to heed here. The warning. Since God gives authority, those who despise authority, Peter and Jude both say, they're false teachers. Okay? So what do we say to Letty Russell and other feminists who despise authority? They're false teachers. We should not listen to them. We should not learn from them and this is what we do. No. They're false teachers. Okay, but 
we all need to hear this warning too. Romans 13.2, Paul says, He who resists authority, and that could be any of us, and actually has been at some point all of us, right? I mean, when we were kids, did you, you know, every kid at some point resists authority, right? Um, we don't like some of the things the government does and we resist their authority, or you might not like, you know, other... whatever authority you're under, you might not like it, and you resist it. He says, He who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God and will receive condemnation upon themselves. Will receive condemnation upon themselves. God takes this very seriously. We should not be among those who despise authority. And, and of course, we've said before, there's that one caveat, that if an authority asks you or tells you to do something God forbids or to not do something God commands. In other words, if they're telling you to sin, then that's when you have to oppose them and you have to say, no, I'm not doing that. Or I'm going to, you know, I am going to go to church. You can say, make it illegal to go to church. I'm sorry, I have to obey God, not men. Okay. That's just, that's the only caveat we're given in Scripture. If they ask you to sin. So, One more about as we're talking about the definition. Since authority is assigned by God, human authority is accountable to God. So we've kind of already touched on that a bit, but there's a verse that to give you all, you know, some assurance. You see, being in authority should be very sobering. Again, when you find yourself in authority, so, you know, a young man gets married. You know, yes, I'm number one. Okay, no, that should not be. It doesn't take long. God humbles him, right? That should not be the way to think. Parents, same thing. Got a baby now, you know. Yes, we're number one and number two, whatever. No. Okay, it should be very sobering. And, And an example of that is those of you in the church, the flock, are assured that your elders will give an account to God, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. We're not the end all. We're not the ultimate authority in this church. Jesus is. And we have to answer to Him. And we will give an account to Him. And that is very sobering. That should be sobering for you husbands. That should be sobering for you parents, employers. Whatever authority you may have, That should be very sobering to you. Now, let's talk about purposes of authority. So, I want to talk real quick about these three, and then we're going to walk through them. So, we go to the next slide. Um, Some purposes. And there's more. John Lehman lists some others, but we didn't have time to get into those, and they weren't... We didn't have to talk about those particular, uh, particularly here. First, I already mentioned, it provides... Order in creation. That's why we have authority. Okay, It's the basic idea behind it. But it also benefits those under authority. And it should help those who are in authority to grow. Okay, So let's talk about that a little bit. So we mentioned that, yes, God assigns authority to provide order in his creation. But too many people, as I said, think it's all about them. They're in authority and, hey, it's about me. It's about me getting my way. That is not at all the biblical perspective. Ray Ortland admonishes those of us who are in authority. He says this, Authority is not a privilege to be exploited, to build up my ego. Authority is a responsibility to be born for the benefit of others without regard for oneself. This alone is the Christian view. That's the biblical view. That's the view that every one of us in every area of authority ought to have. I'll give you some examples from the Bible. The apostles had authority. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.8, they had authority which the Lord gave for building you up. And you remember how Paul and the other apostles, they took a strong stand against the false teachers who were in it for their own gain. And they rebuked them for that. They, they, they just, I'm in authority now, and so I'm going to milk it for all it's worth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, you know, make money and fame for myself and everything. And then, yeah, I know some people today do that, and that's wrong. Paul said, no, the reason we're given authority is for building you up. 
And in that with authority that elders have, for example, they are to shepherd God's people, to keep watch over their souls, to equip them for ministry. And then Peter adds another one about elders. Elders, as they exercise authority, they are proving to be examples to the flock. 1 Peter 5.3. You see, so that's one of the the, uh, purposes of authority. So uh, husbands, moms and dads, one of the purposes for your authority is to set an example for husbands for your wife, parents for your children, just as the elders do for the church. We're to be setting examples. That's why one of the reasons he's given us authority. You see, so it's it's for those, for the benefit of those under authority. So yes, godly authority helps those who are under authority to grow. But if it's godly authority, it should also grow the person who's in authority. It should help them to become a better leader. You see... And too often, when we receive authority, we get married, the husband has authority, parents, you have children, now they're in authority. Too often, we can think that, okay, I'm there. I got this, because I've got authority. That isn't the way it should be. We should come into it humbly, saying, okay, Apart from the Lord, I am not fit for this. Every one of us should think that. Apart from the Lord, I'm going to fail. And so I need to lean on Him. I need to learn from Him. I need to learn how to be a better leader. How to better exercise the authority that I've been given. Turn over to 2 Samuel 23. So go way back in the Old Testament there. 2 Samuel 23. What we find here in this passage are David's last words. And how do we know that? Well, that's what verse 1 says. Now, these are the last words of David. Okay? So, and, and I want to skip down to verses 3 and 4. So, these are at the end of David's life, the last things he says. The God of Israel said, 2 Samuel 23, 3, The rock of Israel spoke to me. Here's what he said. He who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God. That one is as the light of the morning when the sun rises. A morning without clouds, when the tender grass springs out of the earth through sunshine after rain. So, there's a couple things going on here. What David learned is a lesson about authority. Now, did David have any failures? Yeah, a lot, right? And some big ones. But through all of that, he learned. And so, all of us who are in any kind of authority, and those of you who in some way, someday you will be in authority, you need to heed this. We need to learn from our mistakes and from our failures. That's part of why they're there. God ordains those. He lets us fail. And He says, okay, learn. I want you to be a better leader now. And that's what happened to David. David learned that authority is for the growth of their people. It's not primarily for the leader. Now, I know the way we tend to think about authority is that, hey, this is for me. That is not the biblical lesson to learn. The biblical lesson is that authority is not primarily about the leader. It is not so you can get your own way. It is for those under your authority, primarily. David learned that and declared it at the end of his life. So let's now talk about the character of godly authority. The character of godly authority. Now, I want to first say, authority itself should not be your character. And you may not have ever thought about this, but too often, that's what we do, is that we think that authority is the character. And what does that do? It makes us authoritarian. Okay, Because if authority is your character, then you're authoritarian. And that's obviously not going to be biblical. 
what should your your character be if you're in authority first godly authority focuses on responsibility it's not fo- focused on personal gain it's on the responsibilities that you've been given the civil government we're going to talk about some of those with the the responsibilities they've given the elders are given those husbands parents for example elders are to these are the, some of their responsibilities to shepherd the church of god like over sheep right Protecting the flock from wolves, Acts 20. They're to be exercising oversight, keeping watch over souls. You see, we need to focus on our responsibilities. Civil government, what are their responsibilities? Paul said in Romans 13.4, that the civil government is a minister of God to you for good. You see, so it's, it's to those under authority. It's for their good. And it's a minister of God. And then Peter adds to that in 1 Peter 2.14 that civil government has the responsibility for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Those are their responsibilities. They need to focus on those responsibilities, not upon you know building themselves up and their egos up. Second, godly authority practices compassionate care. <clears throat> it practices compassionate care. The apostles had authority over all the churches. But I, I love this, what he pointed, what Paul pointed out to the Thessalonian church. He said that as apostles of Christ, you know, we're over all the churches. We might have asserted our authority, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. First Thessalonians 2, 6 and 7. That is the mindset of the apostles, which should be the mindset of any of us in authority. Third, and and before we go to this next one, I want to say this. What we're going to read here, a quote in a minute, is I I want you all to see this is the heart of your elders in this regard. This should be the heart of those of us who are husbands. This should be the heart of the moms and dads, parents in here. Now, we all have to work on it. And develop that. If you are in authority, as I read this quote, ask yourself, is that me? Is that the way I think? And if you're under authority, I want you to see this from the perspective of a godly person in authority over you. Okay? I'm not talking about the tyrant. I'm talking about the godly person in authority over you. Not perfect, but this is their heart. So, godly authority is other-centered. So, we can go to the quote now. Again, John Lehman from another, um, their journal on complementarianism. He says, godly authority as set down in Scripture and as I've witnessed it is seldom an advantage to those who possess it. That is so true. It involves leading and making decisions, to be sure. Jesus led. But what the godly leader feels day to day are not all the advantages, but the burdens of responsibility, of culpability, of even bearing another's guilt. It's profoundly costly, usually involving the sacrifice of everything. It requires the end of personal desires. We have to give those up for those under us. Meanwhile, those under that authority often possess most of the advantages. They're provided protection and opportunity, strength and freedom. Isn't all this precisely what we see in Jesus' use of authority? Authority is not about pomp and swagger. In ancient Israel, who was the man that had more authority than anybody? The king. The king. Do you remember Deuteronomy 17.20? God said that that king was to make his own copy of the law, the law of God. And he was to read it how often? Some of you know. Every day. Why? First, so that he would learn to fear Yahweh his God. Why? That his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen. You see, it'd be so easy because what did what what did we learn is that Moses had said, you know, if you if you get a king, he has 
total rights over you. He'll take your young men for war. He'll take your your daughters for wives. You're, you're basically his slaves. Okay, when you have that kind of power, that kind of authority, it's easy to say, wow, this is all about me. God says, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to see that in any of my kings. I want them to read my law every day so that they fear me and are humble toward those under them. You see that? If you're an authority, you need to be humble toward those under you. Godly authority is real authority. I'm not saying that we do like the feminists and just strip it of, of all of its actually actual leadership and authorization to, to decide, to do, to act. I'm not saying that. Godly authority is real authority. But it is also humble authority. It is Jesus' kind of authority. And that's what we saw in our opening passage in Mark 10. Jesus said, don't pattern yourself after the pagans. Pattern yourself after me. What did He say there? Mark 10.43 For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. That is the model of authority we all must follow if we have authority. He gave His life. And that takes us into the Lord's table. He, he was forever God the Son. Second person of the Trinity. He had authority over us. And by that authority, He being just and holy and righteous, had every right to cast us all into hell. But He said, I'm also a God of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy, tenderness, care, compassion. I want to save a people for Myself. And God set out to save that people. And He sent His Son to die. For them. He humbled Himself to the point of death. Death on a cross. Let's meditate on these things. If you're...